Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and this episode is sponsored by the Gamage Consulting Group. We help amplify student voice and engagement. If you're interested in having help for your school, please visit TreyGamage.com slash shop to set up a time to talk. Now joining me today, I have Miss Jen Owen, who's recently founded a new company called Co-Created with an intention and a purpose to help teachers grow. She's a former principal down in Georgia and has even started her own school or as a part of a team that started a school and is joining us today. How are you, Jen? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Trey. Yes, ma'am. So there's, I feel like there's so much that you've um, done and a lot to get into, but um, I, I'm really curious to hear about uh, the school that you started. Is it the Cloverleaf School in Atlanta for students with special needs? That's correct. That was the name of the school. So I was lucky to be part of a team of parents and educators who came together and just really saw an opportunity to serve students with special needs in a new way. So we serve kids who had autism, ADHD, other learning differences. And um, basically the some of the main goals of the school were empowering students. So making sure that they had more voice and more choice. Because what you oftentimes see with students who have special needs is they don't get a lot of opportunity to direct their own learning, mm-hmm. yet they're fully capable of doing it. So it was really amazing to see them have that opportunity and see how much they grew within that. And then another big goal of the school was supporting behavior and treating behavioral learning with the same regard that we treat academic learning. Mm. So knowing that when a student is having a behavior challenge, that they're not doing that because they're bad. They're not doing that to get on our nerves. They're doing that because there must be a skill that they're lacking. There must be a gap. So let's address it. And let's help that student grow. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So what, what was that process like um, for, for starting a, a brand new school? Well, Trey, I'll be honest with you, it was hard. <laughs> it, was, um, it was one of the hardest yet most rewarding things I've ever done with my career. It was long hours. It was, you know, anyone who's been an entrepreneur who's been in startup culture knows that, you know, you pour yourself into it. You pour blood, sweat, tears, everything you've got into making this thing a reality. And just seeing what it did for the lives of these kids, for the lives of these families, and even for the educators who worked there who finally had an opportunity to use their voice and to shape something, all of that really was the fuel that kept us going through the process. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What grades did you guys serve? We started out as elementary. So we had, um, you know, our first class had three students in it and just grew from there. So we had really humble beginnings in um, this space that was kind of an indoor playground sensory space for kids Hmm. who have special needs. Uh, We knew the owner. He was a great guy, really had a heart for the community. He rented us their two of their birthday party rooms, actually. And those were our two first classrooms. Wow. Um, We yeah it was you know we you gotta start somewhere right so we had that and then as we grew over time we found a church that rented us a larger space and then outgrew that and found our Mm. own space and and occupied occupied that so it was a process it was a process and a journey um and we went from the elementary ages all the way up through middle school okay okay that's really fun i'm um i'm a part of a charter school now i wasn't a founding member but um same type of style started with I think K through three and less than 50 students and have grown up um, one year each since and year seven now at the PD Math Science and Technology Academy. Now it's K through 10 with over 217 students. So 
Um, I, I definitely wow, understand it, that grassroots building. There's just something about it. And I feel like it, Atlanta, um, Atlanta has a, a, a nice variety of schools and options um, for kids to choose from. We do. We have a big variety. We have a large variety of charter schools and private schools, uh, especially thinking to the special needs space. Atlanta has an unusual number of private schools that serve particularly students who have mm. special needs. It's unusual. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know um, you mentioned right before we jumped on the air that um, the difficulty in, in making a change in a large public school. Can you talk about some of that and why it's why these alternative schools or school choice was important for you? Sure. So something I, I like to say and something I said even when I was leading a small private school is I wish that private schools didn't have to exist. I believe that every child has the right to a free public education. And unfortunately, there are groups of students who just aren't being served by our public education system the way it is now. That goes for students who have disabilities, that goes for students who come from poverty, that goes for different racial ethnic groups. It's just we're not seeing equity in school the way we need to be. So. Mm When I was in that small private school, uh, I just started thinking like, you know, we're doing some really cool stuff that we've had this opportunity to innovate, this opportunity to have teachers have a voice and, and design a school around that about what we really believe education should look like. And I thought, I want more kids to have access to this experience. And so I moved from being in that private school setting to coaching teachers in a public charter school setting. And so I was, I was thinking, you know, I want to be closer to the classroom again. I had worked myself into a job where my days were filled with finance and fundraising. And, mm. you know, that's not where I got into education. That's not where my heart was. And so I wanted to be involved with the teaching and learning side. So I started coaching teachers. And then from within the public school, I learned quite quickly how many obstacles you're up against with making change, like innovation in a gigantic public school or a gigantic public system is often really hard. I, I feel for teachers and for administrators that are in that environment trying to make change and you just kind of run into walls with it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's more because of the just the structure that goes with your traditional schools and the, the regulations that um, you have to follow in a traditional school versus the flexibility of a charter or private school? Yeah, I think that word flexibility is a huge key. So. Something that someone asked me recently that has stuck with me, and I'd love to get your input even, Trey, is, you know, we've got a lot of great ideas at this point as educators about the way teaching and learning should be, you know, what should schools look like? So we've got all these great ideas. What are the top three reasons we're not doing it that way already? What are the Mm. top three obstacles that are getting in the way of that? Mm. And so... You know, what, what's your opinion? What do you think about that? What are the things getting in the way? Yeah, well, that's a that's a, a beautiful point to make right there. I, I think, you know, you one, um, I say, you know, everybody's afraid of change. Um, and, you know, from the rooted to the two, the education is something that has not really seen um, a wide variety of change in, in 100 years. Everything's changed from tuition prices to cell phones, communication. But for some reason, our school system um, has stayed the same. And, and, you know, it may be a part of, you know, the, the system that it started with, you know, which was, um, you know, in the 40s and 50s, assembly lines and the things that we were learning in school were helpful for the lifestyle that we had to live. But today, those things don't match. But I think people are still to cha- afraid to change. So that's one. Let's see. 
Number Sorry. number two, um, I'd, I'd say probably diversity in schools. Now I know that um, you know quote unquote minorities are or black people make up maybe fifteen percent of the country, but um, black male educators make up two percent. So there's a, a huge lack of representation in cultural awareness or understanding in schools that makes it difficult to meet the needs of students who are coming from um, an underprivileged, underserved background or you know, kids that maybe just don't care about school right now anymore. So that, I, I, and I'm, I will not highlight though at the same time that I have seen um, a tremendous push towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think that's changing, um, but not yet. And number three, um, I think the, the professionalism of the industry and I've had some conversations yeah. about this with Ron Clark um, and the same with another man, Steve Jones, who started a tip school down there in Atlanta um, and some other folks. You know, why why do teachers get paid twenty eight thousand dollars? You know, they're, they're in charge of literally raising and building a, the next crop of generation of people in the workforce, in the world, in our lives. But yet we don't we don't treat our teachers like professionals. We we hold teachers to a tremendously high standard yet they don't have time to complete any work on campus they're forced to take their work home to lesson plan and everything and still get a second or third job to to pay their bills and, and live a comfortable lifestyle they're probably one of the most important jobs in the country or in the world um but yet we treat, treat it like it's um you know we treat it like it's a very low level kind of position when it's really um something that should be an honorable position um to be a change in and, and again i feel like there's some uh, direction going towards it with these presidential elections. Every candidate has a conversation about um, supplementing student or teacher income. Um, we'll see how that goes, but the, the conversation is starting to grow larger and larger. So those would be my top three, I'd say. Absolutely. I, I fully agree with you, um, especially about the professionalism of the field. That's something that is so important to me is raising that level of professionalism, because like you said, the future is literally in the hands of the teachers and the students. I mean, they are shaping the world. They're shaping the future. They're shaping the workforce. Like, mm -hmm. how can we undervalue them from a, a money standpoint so low yeah. and yet know that they have that power and know that they have that influence? It's just such a mismatch, you know? Yeah. I, I, I was just listening to um, Zig Ziglar. And, and he has a, um, a course on, on YouTube about how to stay motivated. And he asked, you know, how would you treat, if you had a million dollar horse, would you treat him this way? You know, if you had um, a child, would you treat him this way? If you had a billion dollar body, how would you treat it? So I feel like you have, you have billions of dollars of ideas um, and innovation that's sitting there waiting to be cultivated. Um, but yet we treat it like it's pennies on the dollar rather than um, billions of dollars that are in our classrooms each day. Totally. Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, from that standpoint, you know, and just to um, to summarize those three points that I, I know I just made myself, you know, change is the number, well, maybe not number one, no order, but um, being afraid of change, diversity, equity, inclusion, and professionalism are the three reasons that I would say um, that education has stayed the same. Um, but, but yourself yeah. and myself, you know, this podcast has been founded to help bridge the gap in education through challenging, meaningful, and significant conversation. Um, and similar with the work that I do as a consultant, um, helping to amplify student voice and engagement, keep students in class, and develop teachers, you're doing very similar work with Co-Created. Um, can you talk about why you wanted to start this company? 
um, and, and what you're working to do to help bridge these gaps in education? Sure, thank you. It's, um, I think back to you know the experience I shared with you about being part of a, a small special needs school, helping start that, then moving into the private school world. I also recently served in a school that was more of an affluent private school. And so when I look at my career, my career has not been very long, but it has been very diverse. So yeah. I've worked with schools that serve predominantly students of color and then schools that serve predominantly students who are white schools that are serving predominantly students from poverty and then other schools where they come mostly from affluent and then finally schools that serve students who are neurotypical and then schools that serve students that are neuroatypical so I'm looking at at all of these differences among these schools and and what I came to finally was that across every one of those differences there's not a single one of them who doesn't deserve an education that is humanizing and equitable. And that mm. became the foundation for starting Co-Created. That became our mission. We want every student to have a human experience in mm. education, to have you know this world full of connectedness and agency where they are using their voice, where they are active participants in the education. And then equity, because we want every student to have access to that. And what I observed is that that's not the world we're living in, and that's not a world I'm okay with, and I'm here to do something about it. So the way that we do it at Co-Created is we partner with schools to provide training and the four secret ingredients we think that are gonna get us to that world that we're envisioning, that world where education is humanizing and equitable are we want the classroom experience to be empowering. That means kids are using their power, they're trying to make change, they are active participants. The classrooms are inclusive where everybody feels like they belong regardless of their background, ability, race, socioeconomic status regardless. Uh, third is the classroom experience is rigorous where students are being actively challenged, where they're remaining curious, you know, that spark for learning stays alive. And then finally supportive where the behavioral structures in the school are supporting that student to get where they need to be. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the way you just broke that down. And it's, it's always so important to have um, those pillars Taking it, let, let's take it to an, another layer of depth in, in talking about your um, four key ingredients. What are some of the ways that you're able to use these ingredients when you're working with schools um, to help develop and grow teachers? Sure. So something I, I often say is uh, one of the hardest things in the world to change is a mindset. Mm. And, you know, we have, like you were mentioning, we've got kind of this fear of change, this stuck-in-the-box situation. And so the trainings that I want to provide are addressing the mindset piece. And some of the pieces that go into that are when someone's having a fear of change, think about it from a teacher's perspective, working with students. One of the fears teachers have is a lack of power, lack of control. So giving up some of the power you hold as the authority in the classroom to share it with the students so that the students do have more choice, more voice, and to have power dynamics that are a little bit more equal and not so much teacher up here, student down here. So just helping teachers dig into their own fears and their own mindset and think, huh, how am I sometimes getting in my own way? Because mm. I know for me as a teacher, when I was in the classroom, that was really a process that I had to go through is, you know, I was working with students who had behavior disabilities that resulted in them being very oppositional, very defiant and they would say no right to my face. And I learned quickly that that was a hot button for me 
Yeah. And I had to do some self-reflection because <laughs> what it turns out is that's not about me. That child is having uh, a kind of a storm going yeah. on within themselves and they need me to be a solid object and be there for them and be strong for them to help carry them through that. And it's not personal. It's about me being the caring authority who's there for them and willing to see them through that storm. Mm, mm, mm. And, and that's where that empowering piece comes from as well. You know, with those quote four, that sounds like a very empowering um, model that you're using and you know again being on the same page I know we we both had conversation or not together having conversations but talking about um, keeping kids in class you know what what is the importance of having that student-centered approach and making sure that we um, understand that you know like you said that's not about you but that's what you you, you may it might be your own personal bias or, or or bias or a blind spot that hey why you know this student shouldn't be able to pull my triggers like that or press my buttons like that. What do I have to reflect on to be able to move past that and put that student first and make sure that they're empowered? Um, can you talk about some okay. about your student-centered approach and um, why that's so important? Sure. So the part you mentioned about putting kids out of class, you know, I really feel for teachers. Like their job is so hard and I've been there and that's where I really want to connect with teachers first and foremost is I get why you want to send that kid out. That kid might be disrupting. That kid might be using disrespectful language. That kid might be challenging you. So I get it. I get where you're coming from. When we think about it from the student perspective, when we flip that and we think, you know, that student is acting in a way that's not productive for our classroom community, there needs to be a consequence for that. But what's the point of a consequence? Mm -hmm. The point of a consequence is to change that student's behavior to help that student make a change and learn an alternative. So maybe it's because they don't know yet how to manage their emotions. Maybe when they get angry, they go to that blowing up place instead of a place where it's like, oh wait, I can take some breath, I can calm down, I can make a different choice. So, so it's first thinking about what's the point of the consequence and is me sending this kid out of the class gonna achieve that goal? Right. And oftentimes it's not. Sending a kid out of the class sends the message that oh, you know, me, from my student perspective, if I disrespect, that gets me a ticket out of this room. Mm -hmm. Or I have a surefire way to get out of my responsibilities. Or, you know what, my teacher doesn't care about me. My teacher doesn't like me. My teacher doesn't see me as worth the time and effort. So if we're putting kids out of class, we need to understand that that's the message we're sending. That's the message that student is receiving from us. Right. So even if we are feeling annoyed, even if we are feeling like we're trying to address the issue, what happens is different than what we're intending. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. So, and I see um, on your website under the empowerment piece, you, you have um, a pop quiz to assess some of the practices that teachers are using in their classroom. And it's a series of continuums. There's seven of them, a continuum of choice, voice, motivation, purpose, engagement, ownership, and self-efficacy. Now, you may not need to talk about all those, but um, if you can just hit on uh, one or two of those and how these continuums, why, why should teachers be using some of these in the classroom? Absolutely. And I, I, the images that you're looking at, I'm so glad that you brought those up. Those are taken from the work of Barbara Bray, who's an amazing resource. I would love for educators to check out. And she designed these beautiful continuums. And it's a great tool for teachers to use to reflect on, you know, is my classroom an empowering environment? Because mm. if students are feeling empowered 
by their day-to-day education experience, they're going to feel less need to get involved with a power struggle with me as the adult in the room, right? Because they have power outlets. They have these opportunities to like channel that energy somewhere instead of channeling it into a power struggle with the teacher. Mm -hmm. So yeah, choice and voice. Are there, is the work that they're doing of their own choosing sometimes? Are they choosing how to go about showing their learning? And do they have a voice in how this classroom runs? Are they involved in helping make the classroom rules or the way that we worded it in my background was um, our classroom commitments. Like we make Mm -hmm. commitments to one another because we're a community together. Submitting them to buy in and know that they do count, they matter, that that it's not just my way or the highway, this is our journey that we're creating together. Yeah, yeah, I love that, I love it. Those are are great, um, I like those images a lot. They they make it really simple and really easy um, to understand as well. So with your with with yeah. your business and co-created, um, you know your overall mission mission is to help teachers grow. You know what what are the primary obstacles? And to flip that question back on you, what are the primary obstacles that you're trying to go in and um, help solve problems for with the schools that you're working with? Sure. So my big three to answer the same question that I passed on to you. My first one is very similar to yours. It's I think there's just this lack of a spirit of innovation Mm. in schools oftentimes. So I want to help cultivate that. I want to bring back that curiosity and that willingness to push barriers and to push boundaries and to expand and grow and try new things. And so helping school leaders and classroom leaders, that's what I call teachers because that's what teachers are. They are the leaders of the classroom. They, They do feel scared. And so being a support to them and saying, you know what, I'm coming in as your thought partner, I'm coming in as your champion, your cheerleader, and I'm here with you, and we are going to push some boundaries, and we're going to start finding comfort in discomfort, because that's the route to change. So that first one was about innovation. The next one that we're up against is high-stakes testing culture. Mm -hmm. So testing, I want to separate out the word testing from the words high-stakes, because I think you have to measure learning. You have to measure progress. The way we're measuring it, I think, is the problem, and the amount of fear that has been created around the test is what creates those high stakes. If teachers' jobs are on the line, they're not going to look at testing as a small deal. They're looking at it as a huge deal. If schools' ability to go on and survive as a school are based on their testing scores, we put that school in a really tough position to see past the test, haven't we? Yeah. So the third one, I would say, is size. So at this point, classrooms are so big and schools are so big and districts are so big that making change is really hard. You know, we touched earlier on flexibility. It's hard to be flexible when everything is that massive, right? Right. So those are my big three. And then the follow-up question that my mentor asked me with that one was, so what are you doing every day to make those obstacles get out of the way? Mm. <laughs> and that's the harder question, right? So, you know, you mentioned you're doing this podcast, which I'm, I'm so grateful for the work you do and for having me on today. Uh, some of the things I've thought about that I'm working on are writing articles and making sure that there's a wealth of resources for teachers on my website so that they can go in and they can say, you know, what are some different ways I can assess learning without getting obsessed with high stakes testing? Or what are some ways I can do innovative practices in my classroom? Let me research mm. and actually grow my practice. Mm. Or, you know, even just spreading the word about 
what is the value of having smaller class size or smaller school size? And yeah, the value is not going to show up on standardized testing scores. That's what the research has showed. But maybe we're measuring the wrong thing. You know, mm -hmm. maybe the size of the classroom affects students' lives in a very different way than what they score on a test. And maybe the size of a school achieves very different successes and valuable outcomes that are different than what's shown on a test. So just trying to get people to think in a different way. Right. Right. I, I know I spoke to um, Heidi Ogilvie up in Maryland, and she talked about how sometimes schools can be data rich and information poor. So we have all this data, we have all this input, these testing and everything, but if we're not using the information to um, help be more inclusive in our schools or to change our approach, then it, the data doesn't make a difference. I love that. That's so well said. Yes, indeed. So, um, okay, Jen, how about how about your team? I know you've got a couple partners that you're working with at Co-Created. Um, what's the role of the rest of your teammates? I do. So, at this point, we are we're small, we're new, we're figuring it out as we go, and I like to be as transparent about that as possible. That we're here to learn too. So, my two partners that I'm working with, one I met all the way back in undergrad in college and the work she's doing in the community is around school gardens and environmental education mm. and through that work she's also gotten involved with figuring out how to solve food deserts in urban environments by creating these community gardens and then educating the students and the schools and the, the school leaders about how all of that is interconnected. So she's just doing beautiful work in that space. She trains teachers travels around um, really with that focus about using food and growing food even as this bridge and this connection between people in their environment and between the people within that environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then my other colleague that I work with, I met when I was serving in the public school and he was a wonderful mentor to me and just has this huge heart for developing school culture and making school a place that people wow. want to be where students have fun and where adults feel a sense of connectedness and where they enjoy working together so he really brings a lot of great perspective about how to bring joy into the workplace and how to make schools just you know have a little life in them yeah yeah absolutely well it sounds like you've got a very well-rounded team there I am very grateful to have the two of them working with me. Good, good. Um, you know, thinking about uh, this process of starting a new business and even your work as a principal and starting starting a school, what did you learn about education that you didn't know before you were a principal and a business owner or an entrepreneur? Yes, I've been thinking about that question. It's, you know, to be really real with you, something I learned when I was a principal is that that job is lonely. Mm. It's a lonely job. You know, when you're, there, there's that old thing, it's, it's lonely at the top, and it's because you're facing problems and challenges that are so big and daunting that if you were to share those widely with your staff, it would overwhelm people. Wow. And so, you know, you hold back and you don't, you don't share as much, and that gets really lonely. You carry a lot on your shoulders that you don't always have the opportunity to talk with your team about. So that was one thing I learned and it gave me perspective now working with schools that, you know, teachers and administrators, sometimes there's this divide between them. And I just wanna help them have a more human outlook on each other that, you know, last year I went back in the classroom for the first time after four years out of it. 
and it got me very much back in touch with the mm. reality of the experience of a teacher. And so I want administrators, never forget where you came from. Never forget what it was like in that classroom. Like, have some compassion and some empathy for the teachers that you're leading and their everyday experience. And then on the flip side, teachers know that there is so much going on that you're not aware of, so many battles your principal's fighting for you, and just be grateful for that. So just know that both of you are doing the absolute best you can and that there's going to be moments you disagree, but in the end, we're people. And so it just, it really gave me some perspective to have those different experiences over time. Yeah. Uh, I also think about the, from the principal's perspective, I gained kind of a bird's eye view more about what was going on with education, especially what was going on with our school. And then in the broader sense, connecting with other school leaders. And it just showed me like the interconnectedness of everything. Like, you know, if I make this one decision, make this one change, what's the domino effect that's going to happen as a result? Mm. And it just helps me be more of a systems thinker. And yeah. so I, I think that was a valuable skill that I gained. And I think it's one that we could be teaching students earlier on is systems thinking. It's like, you know, when it comes to our environment, if we make one change, what are the things we're not expecting that that might also change and impact? And just having that kind of mindset was, um, it was a big lesson learned and a big thing that I feel like I gained from that experience that I want to share more with mm. students and with teachers. Okay. Okay. I love that. I love that. That You're so reflective. I appreciate um, that Thank ability you. to be self-aware and, and understand um, some of those strengths and opportunities for growth. So, Jen, you know, and what are some, what, how, how are you going to define success for your business or for your work? This is going to sound just crazy, I don't know, overly optimistic, <laughs> um, maybe idealistic. I define success as changing the world. You know, mm. we talked earlier about teachers have this unique opportunity to literally shape the future. And I don't think that we're talking enough about how powerful that is. And yeah. so my hope is that by partnering with school leaders and classroom leaders to give them these tools and to let them know you're not alone, I'm in your corner, we're gonna do this together and we're gonna make change because the future depends on it. So I want the future generation to do better than ours did. That mm. would be success to me. I want kids to be having a school experience that they are excited about and that allows them to be curious and where they're really growing and flourishing as whole people and not just been being treated as numbers. Right. So those four ingredients that I mentioned about school being an empowering, inclusive, rigorous, supportive place, like those four key ingredients, that would be success to me. I walk in a school and I see examples of kids using voice. I see kids from all these range of differences coexisting and being a community together i see rigorous project work going on with kids investigating things and using these advanced thinking skills i see a school-wide positive behavior plan in place that really supports them in their behavioral learning like that would just be amazing to me that's the goal okay okay i love it optimism is what we need optimism is absolutely what we need <laughs> Um, in education so if, if you if you put it together there's no reason why it can't be done right working with those teachers and we mentioned it too you know it's one thing to to be a professional speaker um or, or something like that and going to work with with students or with teacher or excuse me talking to students but it's another thing to work on developing teachers because they're spending a third of their day with the kids that are the next generation that's so great jen how can people find you or, or learn more about your your business and the work that you're doing 
Thank you. So again, my company is co-created and you can find us at co-created.org and that's co-created.org. And on the website, there are articles and blogs written that are specifically geared towards teachers and school leaders where you can get some innovative strategies. There are free principles on there. Just, I want to be a resource and be as helpful as I can be. So please check that out. And um, I wanted to leave a couple of kind of closing tips for teachers where, you know, we talked about putting kids out of class. I've got a few just practical things you could do tomorrow to make a difference with that. So one, what if your classroom had a break area, a space where a kid could go to chill out, cool down, get a hold of themselves, and then come back to the learning environment very quickly and within the same room. Two, what are you doing every day to build a relationship with those kids to get to know them as people because your relationship is the most powerful tool that you have to keep those kids in class keep them on the right track and to let them know that you're there for them three learning how to pick your battles so knowing that not every little thing needs redirection but Mm. identifying the things that do and trying to redirect them as early as possible before they escalate so the last one is thinking about the why behind the behavior. So every single time there's a misbehavior, it's to communicate a message. It's there's something going wrong. What's the why behind it? If you can get in that mindset and think, why is this happening? Then you can find the right tool to adjust and to offer a solution that's gonna help that child. Absolutely, I love that. Those are some great quick hitters right there and they don't take much time or even effort, just intentionality to make them happen intentionality that's a great word for it yes indeed well thank you so much jen for sharing that with us and thank you for listening to the dash podcast again i'm trey gamage and listening joining us today is jen owens we're so glad to have you this episode is brought to you by the gamage consulting group and you can visit treygamage.com to learn more about how to amplify student voice and engagement definitely go follow jen on social media check out her website and we will see you next time this is the dash